We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 20, verses 25 through 32. Acts 20, 25 through 32. Now, if you remember, the book of Acts is the story of how Jesus Christ established his church in the world more broadly than just a small group of followers in Jerusalem and in Galilee. As he gave his great commission to the apostles, it was to go into all the world. And starting in Jerusalem, and then in Judea, and then in the wider area, all the way to the ends of the earth, we begin to see that process of the rolling out of Christ's church, if you will, into all of the world in the book of Acts. And so it's a very encouraging, strengthening book because what we see is the fruit of the gospel proclaimed and the impact that it has in city upon city, on people group after people group, and you have it gradually proceeding in power into and changing the whole wide world. Now, the church goes through several important uh, conflicts in this time. It goes through several important changes in this time because it's right at the beginning of the church. And so there's a lot going on. There's a lot to be worked out. And in our passage this morning, we have a great encouragement about that work of establishing Christ's church, and we have a great warning in the text. On the one hand, God makes it clear that he is the one who establishes his church and the leadership of his church through elders that he's the one who puts elders in place in his body. On the other hand, he warns that even those men have to be on guard against sin in their own lives. You know, the best of the best, sir, doesn't mean you don't have anything to worry about, right? That's the warning that we're given in this passage. Now, it so happens that we are in the process of choosing and training and appointing and installing elders in this church. And so it would be appropriate for us to study what happens with elders and what the New Testament teaches us concerning elders in the church and that we should be paying attention, right? We should be paying attention always to what the Bible says, but when we think about how appropriate this is for our life as a church right now, we ought to perk our ears up even more. And what can we learn? Well, one of the things that we'll see is the 
the importance of paying attention to what we are looking for in elders, right? It matters who the leaders of a church are. And we must remember that God is the one who ultimately gives them their authority, not us. Let's stand for the reading of God's word as we see these things laid out in Acts 20, 25 through 32. I should give a little bit more context here. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the elders in Ephesus. And he is saying goodbye to them for the last time. He knows that he's not going to have a chance to see them again. They had worked together closely. He had been very important in the establishment of that church. God had used him in the lives of these men. They had worked together. And so this is how he closes his farewell to them. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds, that we would hear your word, not with hardened hearts, but with soft hearts willing to receive your truth, to diligently seek to understand it. And Father, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, it would convict us of sin and righteousness and the judgment. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a lot packed into this little section of Paul's farewell to the Ephesian elders. But like I said before we read the passage, let's try to pay attention to what we are looking for in elders. Let's try to pay attention to what we are looking for in elders. 
What sorts of things did we see in this passage that Paul exhorts them concerning and that he uses to uh, describe himself as a model for their work? Well, first we see Paul saying that he is innocent of the blood of all men, something I wish I could say. Something I wish I could say. How is it that he is innocent of the blood of all men? He describes the reason in verse 27. He says, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. The whole purpose of God. Now, I want you to think about that first. The kind of man that you want to be an elder in Christ's church is the kind of man who is innocent of the blood of all men, right? You don't want somebody who has a guilty conscience and who is uh, guilty of the blood of men, right? Now, I just got done saying I wish I could say the same as the Apostle Paul here. Why do I wish that I could say that? Well, every opportunity that God has given me to proclaim the gospel which I have been ordained to teach and preach, the gospel that I have been sent out as an evangelist to plant a church and to call the world to obedience of, that gospel message, any time that I have neglected to proclaim that good news, to call the world out of sin, out of darkness, to repentance and newness of life in Christ Jesus, I have left men without the warning that God has commanded me to give them. You go back to the Old Testament to the book of Ezekiel, you are given a description of the city being attacked and there being a guard up on the walls whose job it is to watch for a coming attack and then what? To take a nap when they arrive, kids? Is that what you do when you're, when you're guarding the base at... Uh, uh, when, you're, when you're playing capture the flag, when, when people come across the line, that's when you're supposed to take a nap, right? No, Liam? That's right, he's supposed to blow the trumpet to warn everybody. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say the last word, maybe, maybe not, to hide? To get ready. There you go. To get ready. So if you're guarding jail when you're playing tag, or if you're guarding it during capture the flag, and you see people running across the line, and they're trying to attack your side, what do you do? You yell, don't you? You yell so that your team can know, hey, danger, alert, get ready, they're coming. 
And if you don't, if you sit there and you pick dandelions, your team is going to go, hey, how come you didn't say anything? Right? Well, that's a game, and you, some of you know how competitive people play games, because some of you are competitive people. And so some of you know how very irritating it would be if somebody was standing there on your team watching and doing nothing, giving no warning, not saying a word when the other team was coming across the line, right? Now, imagine that there's a lot more than a game on the line, right? Imagine if you bought a, a guard dog because you knew that there were people who needed to be, you needed a warning if they were coming onto your property. So you bought a guard dog and then the bad guys came onto your property and the guard dog didn't bark but went running up to them to get petted. Is that, a, is that a guard dog that has done his job? No. That's right. That is a bad guard dog. That's a useless guard dog. That's a guard dog that you get rid of, isn't it? Now, in the Old Testament, God says there's even more at stake. It's not just a game. It's not even just the life of somebody that's being threatened and, and you need the warning of a guard dog. It is people's eternal souls that are at stake whether the gospel message is being proclaimed or not. And God says that his prophets, those who are to proclaim his word, if they do not proclaim his word, if they do not blow the trumpet, if they do not warn that an attack is coming, the people will die because of it and they will die in their sins. The result being not just that they will die, but that they will die and go to hell. But what he says of the shepherds, the prophets, the guards who did not warn is that he will require the blood of those people from their hands. Those who suffer and die and are lost If his servants were given the job of warning them and never warned them, and they die in their sin, those pastors, those shepherds, those elders, they will be held accountable for that death. Now that's a scary thought. It's a good reason not to become an elder. That's what the Bible says. It says, not many of you should seek to become teachers, knowing that as such you will be held to a stricter judgment. You will be held to a stricter judgment. So when Paul says 
that he is innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. He's saying, I was faithful to preach. I was faithful to give the warning. Paul fears God, and that is why he does the work he has been appointed by Jesus Christ to do. But there's more to his statement than simply saying, everybody who needed to hear the gospel, I preached the gospel to them. There's more to it. What, is, what are the words again? Let me read them one more time. I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Now, right here is an incredibly important part of thinking about what church you should be a part of, who you should be sitting under for teaching and preaching, who you should have as your elders. Because today there is a big emphasis in a large portion of the church on saying, we want to proclaim just the gospel, just the good news. We just want to make sure people know that Jesus Christ died for sinners. Now, that's great. That's what we just got done talking about. If you don't make that clear, and people do not hear the good news, and they die in their sins, and you had been given the duty of preaching, you will suffer the consequences, right? But Paul said more than that. He said that he did not shrink from telling them the whole truth. You know, when you're supposed to put your hand on the Bible and say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? You don't want to leave the whole truth out, do you? You want that to be part of swearing that you're going to testify the truth. And what he says is, I didn't shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. There are a lot of churches, there are a lot of elders, there are a lot of pastors today, there are a lot of men who have gone out into the world proclaiming God's truth, 80% of it. 80% of God's truth is better than 0% of God's truth, right? But Paul is not content for the people of Ephesus, for the elders to be proclaiming, to be teaching, for himself to have been teaching and proclaiming 80% of God's purpose, 80% of God's testimony, of God's word. 80% of God's purpose. What does it look like to proclaim part of the purpose of God instead of the whole purpose of God? Well, I can tell you what it looks like from my perspective standing up here as a preacher to do it. Okay? It's when I realize as I'm about to say something that I have written down in my notes about, for instance, the love of money, right? And I, and I look out and I see a bunch of wealthy, comfortable people and I think, you know, 
I'm not really sure that they want to hear that this morning. Time slows down. Everybody's blinks get slow. And about a million miles an hour through my mind, there's a a lot of thoughts running through my head. Right? What if so-and-so thinks I'm talking specifically about them and they get offended? I wasn't even thinking about them as I was, but this applies directly to their circumstances right now, and maybe they'll misunderstand and think that I was trying to condemn them, and probably they just have a weak conscience and don't actually need to hear this right now, and maybe I better just leave it out. Well, that's not exactly how it sounds in my head, but that's basically the reasoning process that's running through my mind, and right around then I think, Oh boy, and an alarm goes off. Danger, danger. You know why? Because I don't want to be guilty of the blood of men because I did not give them the whole purpose of God. Right? I don't want to be guilty of the blood of men because I refuse to give the whole purpose. Paul did not shrink from declaring the whole purpose of God. And you think, what's running through my mind sounds a lot like shrinking, right? Yeah, that's because that's what it is. It's me being tempted to shrink from declaring the whole purpose of God. And there are a lot of purposes of God in these pages, aren't there? And a lot of them are offensive. And if you could just limit yourself to the good news, if you could just limit yourself to the gospel, I mean, who could object to you proclaiming the gospel after all, right? It's very very good. It's very encouraging and uplifting like Christian radio. Christian radio exists, and its purpose in life, its reason for existence, is to declare to you only part of God's purpose. That's that's what it exists for, to only give you the parts that are positive and uplifting and that will make you feel good and never to give you any warning, never to give you any feeling of guilt or of shame over sin, and therefore the good news is empty because there is no call to repentance. There is only a free offer of grace. Why would I need grace? I feel no need of grace. Life is great. I've got plenty of money. I have all that I need. I enjoy my job. But Paul, Paul's a little bit different than, uh, what is it here? What's this? Caleb, yeah, thank you. I wanted to say that, and then I was like, maybe, maybe that's a soft rock, like, I don't know. <laughs> and what is... What is K-Love's, what is K-Love's tag? Come on, somebody knows it. Don't, don't be ashamed. 
I got a hand over there, but he's not. No. Yeah, that, he wasn't raising his hand. Who knows what's ta- what's Caleb's theme tag tagline that they say? Positive, encouraging. Thank you. I knew I was getting it slightly wrong. Positive, encouraging. Yep, music. It's great. It's po- it's always positive, always encouraging. Isn't that just what the Apostle Paul is always like? Positive and encouraging. When he says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in. It's so positive and encouraging, isn't it? Savage wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock. God's word for you today. Yes, I'm mocking. I am mocking. Because to have Christian radio that will never, ever, ever, ever in a million years be willing for that passage to be read is to demonstrate the entire pointlessness of that Christian radio. What purpose does it serve to cut out half of God's word, half of God's purposes, and to only give the half that are going to make people feel good about themselves and leave them what? in danger of death and God's wrath. It is not enough to simply say, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Follow Jesus Christ. Jesus loves you just the way you are. Or a million other positive, encouraging, and uplifting things, true though they may be, If that was enough, we would not have most of the Bible to start with. And Paul would not be saying things like, I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. And one of the purposes of God is that he will pour out his wrath on sinners, that he will cast them into hell where the flame does not go out, and where the worm does not die, and where it is suffering and misery for all eternity. That's one of God's purposes. He will destroy the wicked. And if we do not give that warning, then we suffer the blood of men who die in their sin to be laid on our hands. And so elders who shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God are elders who leave you in danger. Now you notice how this is a a message both to elders and to the flock, right? Because to the elders, to myself, as I am preaching, the warning is you will have blood on your hands if you don't give the whole purpose of God And to the congregation, to those who are listening, they realize, oh, 
if I don't have an elder, if I don't have a pastor, if, if I don't have people who will proclaim the whole purpose of God to me, I am left in danger. My blood could be shed. And that's precisely where Paul goes next when he says, there will be savage wolves that will come in. And so what does he say? He says, be on guard. This is Paul to the elders. Be on guard. What? For yourselves and for the flock. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Elders must be on guard for themselves first. What does it mean for an elder to be on guard for himself? Well, I just got done explaining part of what it looks like. Part of what it looks like is guarding myself against the temptation to give up the parts of God's word that I know are going to make this congregation unhappy or whoever I happen to be talking to. If I'm out in public and I'm talking to somebody and, and we get to talking and I have the opportunity to call them to repentance and I think, eh, you know, maybe not today. It could be a lot of work. It could be exhausting. I'm already exhausted. There's a lot of emotional energy that goes into these kinds of conversations. My phone says I've been going for long enough. My phone's always saying I've been going for long enough. How are elders tempted? Elders are tempted to not give the whole counsel. But that's not the only way that elders are tempted, right? When we read in 1 Timothy and in Titus the necessary qualifications for elders, what do we find out? We find out a whole list of things that they're not supposed to be and that they are supposed to be, right? Not addicted to wine. So if an elder is going to be guarding himself, he's going to be guarding himself Against what? Loving wine. It's not like you've, you've, you know, you've made it over the hump. You're, yep, I'm not addicted to wine. Great, don't have to worry about that anymore. I've been made an elder. Now uh, there's no danger of me doing all these things because they were part of the prerequisites. I already passed the prerequisites. As if an elder can never commit adultery. As if an elder can never be a drunkard. As if an elder can never fall into sin because he's somehow been magically, through ordination, made, what, perfect and complete in his holiness? No. Be on guard for yourselves. And for all the flock. That is, the church. God's love for his people is intense. It's huge. It is overwhelming. And this is positive and encouraging. And it is why the shepherd that does not care for that flock that Jesus Christ died for, whom God loves dearly, whom he was willing to sacrifice his only begotten son for, the shepherd that does not keep watch for that flock, 
that shepherd is a wicked shepherd. The shepherd that goes ahead and makes the compromise with what he thinks God's word says and what he thinks the people want to hear and says, let's land somewhere in the middle. That shepherd has failed. And God's love for his people means that that shepherd will bear the weight, will bear the consequences of his sin. And he will be held to an even stricter judgment. Some elders will fail to guard themselves. Some will fail to guard the flock. Some will even turn to attacking the flock. You think of the damage that one man... I was just talking to somebody who was in Ted Haggard's church, if you remember him... a man who failed to guard himself, and the damage that that did to the flock, failing to guard yourself leads to failing to guard the flock. And ultimately, it leads to attacking the flock. Now, This is not something that we can entirely avoid in this church. Any more than Paul could entirely avoid it in Ephesus, or than Jesus Christ avoided it in his apostles. Among the apostles, there was Judas. Among the loved group of elders in Ephesus, there were those who would turn and attack the flock. And what does this teach us? Well, for one, it teaches us the necessity of everybody keeping their eyes open. Everybody being alert. It also teaches us and demonstrates one of the reasons why there are multiple elders, not just one. And that all of the elders need to be alert. Because there will always be those who are wolves in sheep clothing. There will always be wolves in sheep's clothing. And the rest of the shepherds must recognize and put out those who are wolves for the sake of the flock. Though it puts them at risk, though there will be collateral damage, though it will be a mess, though it would be more comfortable in the eyes of the church and surrounding churches and in the eyes of the world to try to hush it up, All of those things are failures to guard the flock. 
we need to be alert. Now, one of the encouraging things that we have in this passage is that when Paul started, what did he say? Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, right? And then what did he continue to say? Among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. It is a huge encouragement that it is God, the Holy Spirit, who sets apart men for the work of being overseers. That does not negate the fact that there are wolves among those men, right? The danger is still there, and yet, in the grand scheme of things, in these two verses that I just read, we realize God will protect his church, right? He will protect his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. In the book of Acts, you see that although there are people who are false shepherds, although when we read the letters that Paul's writing, he's writing later, and there are serious problems in the church, there are false teachings, perverse doctrines that are being taught. What he is confident of is that the church of God has been purchased with Christ's own blood. And that it is the Holy Spirit who gives overseers to, that, to the church to shepherd them. Now that means two things. One, although yes, you must be on the alert, all of you, whether you're an officer in Christ's church or not. Okay. Although you must be on the alert, God is watching over his church as well. And so what you can expect from false churches is that God will reveal his judgment on them one day, one way or another. And so if we do not yet have overseers local to this body, we're missing out, right? We want that, don't we? We need that. It's a delight that we're working towards that. But it also means it is important that we vet the candidates, right? That you think are these men actually going to shepherd the flock? Are they actually going to care for the souls of God's people? Are they willing to speak the whole counsel of God's word? Are they going to tell me all of God's purposes or only the ones I want to hear? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Your love for your church gives us 
strength and encouragement. That just as in the time that Paul was working and others were working to expand the church out of Jerusalem and Judea to the uttermost ends of the earth, just as at that time false shepherds and evil wolves who were seeking to devour your people were overcome by your strength and by faithful men fighting. So, Father, today, you will not allow your church to be overwhelmed, to be overcome, but you will use faithful shepherds to proclaim your word, to protect your sheep. So, Father, we ask, we beg you, to give this body faithful shepherds. We ask these things in Jesus' name.